0: just wet myself a little Uh, terrified goosebumps welcome to x-rated I am one of your hosting team, and I go by the name of Ryan Whedon. I guess I'm another one of your hosting team, Matt Fisher. Sorry, we're just so scared. We're we're collecting our thoughts. I, oh, like we can't. I, I, I'm really shaken by yeah. the, by that opening, uh, and I'm
1: stirred by it. <laughs> just scary, scary stuff. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used
0: to date and now they don't. Now we talk about movies. Now we are in the middle of our hex rated boo Vs. these. The Schlocktoberfest is in full swing, Mm -hmm. and this time we're doing a double dose of spooky spookerson stuff.
1: It's our 90th episode. Good God. I mean, it feels like just yesterday we were talking about
0: farting corpses. It does feel like just yesterday. I think it's because I was talking about farting corpses yesterday. Oh, okay. And then I also mentioned that I had a podcast on that very topic. Oh, great. Okay, good. You got to sell when you can. (laughs) Get it out there. Whenever that
1: topic comes up, make sure you mention our episode on farting corpse movies. Speaking
0: of farting corpses, (laughs) have I got the podcast for you. But no, so yeah, double feature, 90th. Yeah. This one took a little bit of soul searching, but once we sort of landed on it, it seemed like a no brainer. It makes a lot of sense. Long time listeners will remember that every 30 episodes, we honor an actress near and dear to our hearts. Episode 30, we did the Gershonathon. Oh, the fabulous Gina Gershon. Episode 60. We did a Parker full of posies featuring the incomparable Parker Posey. I mean, who could you even compare her to? And now, sort of uh, inspired by the grifters a while back, we were both watching and we were like, you know what? I like the cut of this woman's jib. <laughs> she seems like she's got that, uh, that little something extra that, that we like. That, that little X factor that we're always looking for in our leading ladies. Yeah. And uh, of course, that leading lady just happens to be. The one and only... Angelica Houston. I mean, boy, what a woman, right? I mean, born of Hollywood royalty, and the two movies that we chose today definitely show her regalness off. Mm -hmm. But there's movies like Royal Tenenbaums, where she plays Ethel Tenenbaum, and she totally pulls off, like, you know, down-to-earth, hard-working, middle-class mom. I mean, they're not middle-class in the movie, but she's got that you know, straightforward thinking family values yeah, ethic to her.
2: Raleigh says you've been spending six hours a day locked in here watching television and soaking in the tub.
0: And I would take that one step
1: further with her uh, supporting role in Fifty Fifty, where she's just playing a mom. She's playing a
0: real, real-to-life mom.
2: I'd love a blanket.
0: We're fine. She's playing like a real-to-life mom in Buffalo 66 as well, is yeah. she not? yeah. yeah. Another one of my favorite roles of hers.
2: Honey, I don't know what you're talking about. She always ate chocolate.
0: Even though she was born, like, you know, on a silver platter, Uh (laughs) you don't pick up that air about her unless she wants you to see it. She's not bragging about being born on a silver platter. (laughs) Yeah, she seems to know how
1: the other side lives and uh, appreciates that. Yeah. Well, I heard that her uh, recent memoirs that came out, she titled them Watch Me because mm-hmm. somebody uh, who was like a f- film person was like, oh, look at you, all that talent, and you're probably not going to do anything with it. And in her brain, she just said, watch me. Oh, and I wow. Like, I like that attitude of like, you know what? I can do something. I have this talent. And uh, she sure does. And I like that she works, too. You know, like she works hard. You get the impression.
0: Yeah, she doesn't just choose like, choice easy roles like she gets in there she works with independent filmmakers she does the nitty-gritty with them yeah and i feel like she really does
1: the work that's needed to be a good actress like she puts her back into
0: it yeah and she's also seemed to like managed to like work through that dip where you see like actresses hit like once they're like 30 but before they're like old sluts yeah you kind of just see them like fall to the wayside a little bit and she manages to like powered through that and like found roles even in that like tough area where they don't write a lot of roles for women yeah that would have been like the 90s for her
1: Mm -hmm. pretty much and she just like powered through did a bunch of great roles during the 90s too Mm so good on you angie
0: (laughs) it's not just her her the way that she holds herself or Uh, the way that she speaks but she's got a very unique look to her as well
1: yeah she used to be a model if you just look up you know angelica houston model or angelica houston helmet newton who took a lot of her modeling photos she's she looks great she's a babe
0: i mean jack nicholson doesn't bang just anyone right well i'm sure he does bang anyone but uh they were together for a long time like on and off again for many many years, yeah, at least a decade. She was the one who caught Roman Polanski having sex with a 13-year-old girl. Well, I she was at
1: the house that day. Yeah, but I think she said she didn't actually see anything untoward.
0: But she like knew something was up. Yeah, maybe. Because yeah, but that I haven't was, read the memoirs. I don't know. That was at Jack Nicholson's house where all that was going down, and they were seeing each other, and that was like '74. Yeah. And I feel like they saw each other like all through like Prizzy's honor, and that was like '88 or '87. So they didn't break up till the. Ooh, now I've painted myself into a corner early 90s i want to say it was post batman okay yeah which was 89 sounds about right so i yeah sometime like right after that maybe is is when they went their separate ways but yeah i'd say that they were banging for like 15 years and i mean he's got a temper so you know she must have some muster to be able to put up with that yeah you know cuz she doesn't strike me as the type to like put up with too much bullshit no she's got to be able to like put someone like Jack Nicholson in his place her mother was italian so she's got that strong italian streak of just Mm-mm-mm. no bullshit <laughs> but yeah she just uh she's just a star she's got star power she's got charisma she's a just, scene stealer yeah, she's got that extra yeah she's one of my favorite parts of the royal ten of
1: bombs and she's barely in it yeah i mean
0: that's a supporting role definitely yeah she's got that it factor whatever it is mm-hmm. that just makes you want to watch her she's mm-hmm. so compelling that's why we're proud to enter her into the roster of other x-rated ladies see i was
1: i felt like i was tossing you a softball there of you could say she casts a spell over <laughs>
0: you as a, as a viewer <sighs> no too too low-hanging fruit <laughs> for us uh i don't know does shit hang low <laughs> toilets certainly do <laughs> Before we start into the toilet talk, why don't you explain what tasty beverage you've come up with us for today?
1: Today, I decided to bring in something called a Witch's Brew. And if you Google Witch's Brew cocktail, you're going to find a very diverse crowd of entries. And uh, I am going off of a recipe that I found in the Food Network magazine. This is by Chef Manit Chohan. And it's got cucumber and jalapeno and some lime juice and the recipe calls for gin if you want to spike it up a little bit but i decided tequila would be a better choice and also we haven't done a tequila cocktail yet on
0: this podcast uh so there you go it's just a nice it's a really healthy green color it kind of looks like you know uh mucus or uh arid bog (laughs) but it is tasty the cucumber which i'm a big fan of in general really gives it a fresh splash. And tequila can be sort of hit or miss. It can be very overpowering in a cocktail. But uh, the tequila and lime, of course, I mean, there's a reason why you suck a lime after doing a shot of tequila. The cucumber-lime combo really keeps it fresh and and bright and sparkly in your mouth.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Matt, uh, in the next round, if you like, I did buy some gin, too. So we can try Mm. it with gin if we want to. A
0: little compare and contrast.
1: Yeah. I will say, I just... uh, I had one before we started recording, and uh, I did a uh, salt rim with ancho chili, mm-hmm. which is the recipe called for, and I thought it was too
0: salty, but now without it, I find I'm missing the salt. So, I think you need the salt. Yeah. I I, I also had one before we started recording, and I feel like maybe just putting a little salt on top is mm. what it, what's necessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, the salt's got a lot of flavor to it. Yeah. And, you know, you do a thick rim, so... <laughs> And the salt was pretty heavy, too.
1: I've heard that before, but I don't know. Seems spooktacular for this, our first double feature in Schlocktoberfest.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. The stars aligned, and, and we had to two, pick two spooktacular movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what are those two spooktacular movies, Matt? Why, I'm glad you asked, Ryan. Today, we are doing Nicholas Roge's The Witches and Barry Sonnenfeld's Adams Family. Which would you like to start with today, Matt? I think I want to start with The Witches. And then for Adam's family, we'll switch to a gin drink. Great. That seems... Logical.
1: Because they drink so much tequila in uh, Norway.
0: I think it was in Denmark.
1: Mm. I I thought they were Norwegian or Swedish. Something Scandinavian at first.
0: Right, because the opening scene is like the uh, copter shot over all that snowy mountain Mm -hmm. hill area. But then we get into like this little town and there's no snow so i was like is was that, that film someplace else like <laughs> what was
1: that i wasn't a big fan for, of those opening credits i'm gonna be honest with you doesn't really put me in the right mood
0: yeah i mean the snow has nothing we don't see snow for the rest of the movie yeah uh i mean the actual like credit sequence itself was fine right you know i wish it would have matched the speed that the copter shot was though i like that was throwing me off too that
1: the words oh. were moving slower than the uh
0: and the copter was moving. Yeah, I can see that. So
1: that threw me off too.
0: No, what threw me off was that like we were seeing all this snow and then we get to a place where there's no snow and we never return to snow. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe that was supposed to be like a POV shot of the Grand High Witch traveling to
0: her vacation destination. It's a fun thought, but I doubt it. <laughs> so we were introduced to Luke and his grandmother Helga, mm-hmm. which if ever a name should not have gone out of style. Helga, and she's telling him about witches.
3: Real witches hate children. Real witches are quite bald. Although, of course, they wear wigs that itch and cause them scalp rash. They look quite hideous behind their human face masks. And can only be distinguished from ordinary women if you are sharp enough to spot the purple tinge to their eyes real witches have no toes their feet have square ends revolting stumps where their toes should be so they never wear pointed or pretty shoes just plain sensible shoes
0: There's a lot you got to look out for when when it comes to witches matt And this is a movie that I watched ad nauseum as a child. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember, like, in my dad's home watching this just on repeat. And it also reminded me that, like, how scared I used to get of the Grand High Witch. Because this movie came out when I was five. I mean, there's some scary moments in this. There's some moments in this that still kind of disturb me. Well, she's got, like, laser eye stuff. And I just remember thinking, like, watching this as a kid, you know, when you're five, this is just how you think... I got scared of the Grand High Witch because she seemed like the only movie villain that could beat up my dad. <laughs> that like scared me because I was like, my dad won't be able to protect me against the Grand High Witch. Mm, she's got laser eyes.
2: A bitch who dares to say I'm wrong will not be vicious very long.
0: You know, other things that I watched, I was like, oh, my dad can beat you know the cats in American Tale. like. <laughs> I'm not worried. Uh but this was like oh no, she she'd kill him. Yeah. I mean you'd be you'd
1: be a mouse. Yeah, I'd be a mouse, yeah. So I actually saw this movie in the theater. That's really? How ancient I am. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. And I am pretty much the exact same age as Luke the, mm. or the actor who plays Luke. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I was like uniquely poised as the target audience for this. Two very specific things I remember from it is uh the transformation of Bruno.
0: Oh, yeah. Which still, like,
1: kind of freaks me out. That's nightmare
0: stuff. It's really intense. Because <laughs> none of it's CG, yeah. and it's, like, they show different phases of him, like, turning into a mouse and shaking yeah, and Yeah, but, like, spasming. kind of violently, it looks painful. It it and looks, yeah, it looks painful, and then just the imagery itself is so it's disturbing. macabre.
1: And then uh, the other part that I definitely remember sticking out in my head is when um, the Grand High Witch steps on the witch mouse that comes running out and telling her, don't eat the soup, don't eat the soup. And she steps
0: on and just splatters everywhere. Yeah.
1: Those are the two parts uh, that really stuck in my head of watching this on the big screen.
0: Yeah. For me, I always remember just like the Grand High Witch's uh, TED talk that she gives. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm glad you're all here today. She's, you know. Talking while balancing the invisible orb and, (laughs) you know, handing them a sandwich. (laughs) She's like, a chocolate bar. (laughs) Simple. All kids love it. (laughs) But just as a kid, like, I was entranced by that scene. I watch it now. I'm like, this is a little slow, which made me start thinking, like, we often think, like, movies are like, oh, this is too slow for a kid. But this had some slow parts, and I watched this on repeat. So I was noticing this. the structure of it is kind of strange. Like where action sequences
1: come in, um, it's pretty slow until they actually get to the vacation resort. You know, it's a lot of grandma being like, "Look out for witches," mm-hmm. and then he has an encounter with a witch that still isn't like that. I don't know, actiony. No, not at all. Like or we exciting get a glimpse. Or
0: scary. It's just sort of like we get a glimpse of her purple eyes. Yeah, and then I've never been scared of snakes, but if you are scared of snakes, it's probably. Kind of creepy. That was supposed to entice Luke into coming down. Like, hey, I got a snake down here.
2: I've got something for you here. Something I think you'll like.
0: Even though I'm not scared of snakes, I would not go near that snake. Like, it was big. <laughs> it was It was not like a tiny little garter snake. First of all, it's a snake. That's weird. But B, she just pulls it out of her purse. Like, I've got a treat for you. And she says that she found it while walking up the street. Why would
1: she pick it up and put it in her purse?
0: Yeah, everything. And that... That woman, like, choice casting for that witch because she looked crazy. Yeah. She looked like she wanted to eat me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like the effect, too, just while we're here, of, of whatever they did to make the eyes look purple. Mm-hmm. Like, that was cool. Sometimes it looked like they were wearing purple contacts, and sometimes it looked
0: like it was done post-pro. I don't know exactly how they did it, but I liked it. Yeah, that no, was good. And it was just like a subtle little thing. It wasn't super big or flashy. It was just like little quick flash and you you knew what page everyone was on yeah watching the beginning of when the grandmother's telling the story about her friend who disappeared and like ended up in the painting of her her parents
3: that's really sad his face was all twisted up as he walked towards the painting behind me there as if it always had been there was erica locked in the painting gazing at us her parents have this
0: constant reminder that their daughter's missing. And, like, the figure in the painting grows older as, like, the years go on. I'm like, that's torturous. Did the parent die before the daughter died? Um, yeah, that that feels like the implication. Well, because Helga
1: saw her like age all the way yeah and then was like and then one day she just wasn't there anymore
0: yeah so she like died in whatever world this painting existed in yeah I guess that Helga was
1: just like was able to check up on the painting a bunch or maybe she was like an accelerated aging oh man maybe? yeah I don't know
0: Or maybe all that hard goose-feeding living just uh, ages a person really quickly. Could be, yeah. But yeah, I was like, that's a bummer. Yeah, that would suck. I guess we should mention that this is based on a Roald Dahl book. Mm -hmm. That cantankerous old Raldal. Is he cantankerous? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. He hates everything. Is he like Willy Wonka in real life? Like Like, he makes these wonderful things for children and then like you get him in close quarters and he's just yelling at you? Yeah, I think he actually is on record for not
1: really liking children.
0: Oh, really? I
1: think so, yeah. I, I know that, that he didn't somewhere. care
0: for the Willy Wonka adaptation. He was very unhappy with this one, too. And then he died. <laughs> so, oh, was he unhappy? Yeah. I know that he was really happy with the casting of Angelica Houston. That's one thing he did like. So this is a Jim Henson produced
1: movie. And Rawl Dahl was really upset that Jim didn't do the directing on it. He was just very upset with the script. He felt like it didn't really hit the plot points he wanted to. And then he was livid when they changed the ending. Apparently the ending is not the way it is in the book. In the book, you know, he's just sort of like, I'm a mouse and that's okay and he's totally okay with it
0: oh that's kind of how the movie seems to be leading
1: yeah it almost
0: ends that way like because he even says he's like
2: I really am happy to be a mouse you know
0: honestly like the way that like the end of the movie is leading up it's like a feels like it's setting up for a sequel mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, like Luke and granny witch hunters <laughs> yeah uh and but it also felt like he was just gonna stay a mouse like i remember like up until that last scene which sounds like it was tacked on i was like is is he just gonna be a mouse now like i legitimately didn't remember and it sounds like that might have been how the book ended. no
1: and jim as the producer filmed both endings uh and just did tests with audiences and it just tested better the other way i think and also i think you know jim's kind of a he kind of had a uh, sentimental streak running through him. So I think that he had to have it in that way. And it's fine. I honestly, like as a movie, it's fine. Like Raw Dolls, just kind of, you know, too close to the material. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I would be fine with either ending, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I could
0: see it going either way. Yeah. Like I, w- I was sort of emotionally prepared for him not to get turned back into a kid. And I wasn't like sad, but I was like, "This does seem a little weird for a kids' movie." It was a weird transformation too, like because he was like naked. Because he was naked. Yeah. I and mean, you didn't see anything. I think he had some sort of flesh-colored spandex yeah. on, but
1: but the way he like leaps over the camera and it definitely like doesn't cut before his right his groinal region flies over the camera. But I mean, he just looks like a Ken doll. Yeah. But, I mean, why show that in general? Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Like,
0: there are ways to film around that. And then it
1: takes Granny a minute to, like, get the blanket for him, too. He's, like, standing at the window naked, like, hey, she changed me. And then his glasses come on. Just like I do every morning
0: after the shower.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, cover your shame, Luke. (laughs)
0: You're not
1: a mouse anymore. Wait, that leads me to a quick question real fast. So, he needs glasses as a boy. Is his vision blurred as a mouse? Like, he doesn't have glasses as a mouse. If
0: he did need glasses as a mouse, where would he get said glasses? I don't
1: know. I'm just saying, like, does he just have blurry mouse vision the whole time?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say yeah. Mm. Or maybe somewhere along the transformation, he's made into a perfect mouse uh, that does not have limited eyesight. That's just like a side effect is like eyesight. uh, Maybe he is nearsighted and like he only needed the glasses to read. Yeah. You're not reading as a mouse. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Or, you know. I didn't check closely. I didn't see bifocals at least, but I would assume that, yeah, they were just like for one type of vision. Maybe
1: he did have, yeah, maybe he had glasses on his tiny little bedside table <laughs> that were manufactured at some point after getting back from the hotel and he puts them on to read at night, but that's the only time he needs to wear them.
0: Yeah, maybe. Wouldn't that be cute? Aw, little glasses. <laughs> the director of this movie, Nicholas Roche, is like an art house director. We've talked about this before on the podcast where it's sort of fun when you see like an established, stylish director kind of take on a genre Mm -hmm. and this is sort of that like this is an art house director making a kids movie yeah sort
1: of kids horror
0: yeah which kind of seems like a natural extension for nicholas rouge because he did don't look now which is a horror movie he did the man who fell to earth with david bowie right which is definitely science fiction he did insignificance which is one of my favorite art house movies he did walkabout which was about like Uh, an Australian walkabout, like a kid like going out into the... Oh, I've heard of this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like the seventh movie Criterion ever released. Yeah, I've heard of that movie. And he was like a second unit director on a bunch of stuff. Like, he did... I read Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, he did a lot of the second unit shots on Lawrence of Arabia. uh, Mask of the Red Death, the uh, Vincent Price movie. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he definitely, like, his eye is for the cinematic. And he uses, like, the wide angle lens in this. Like, especially when you're seeing things from like a kid's point of view, so things yeah. just kind of look a little bigger or a little bit more pronounced when they're coming at you. A lot of POV shots, too. A lot of POV shots. A lot of moving POV shots, which is uh, a little nauseating sometimes,
1: but I don't know. It worked for me. Yeah, especially when they were like following the mice around. Yeah. I loved... Okay, so once they turned into mice, I'm all on board. I thought that
0: all looked great. I mean, from the TED Talk on... Like that's the meat of the movie right there. Yeah. it takes a minute. Like that first act is kinda slow. It is a little slow. Like the story that, that grandma tells, and then we get that unexpected parental death. And then her diabetes diagnosis. Yeah. In the book it's pneumonia. So I don't know if like mm. there was like a big push to get more diabetes awareness out there or something. <laughs> I figured with pneumonia though, it'd be harder to, you know, quote unquote poison her and they go to the hotel lobby and someone puts sugar in her tea and it's inferred that the grand high witch did that
1: see i thought it was just a spell that she put on her
0: but that makes more sense yeah she put so she put her in a sugar coma well, yeah, uh, or I don't know if if like the uh, how she falls asleep is a diabetic coma, but like there's a scene in the hotel lobby where she sips the tea and she's like sugar, and she looks over and sees Angelica Houston, and Angelica Houston's looking like a total bitch over there. Yeah,
1: but I thought that was because she tries to taste of the sandwich and she's like,
3: mm, cucumber sandwiches, mm-hmm. fish paste.
1: Yeah, I thought there was just a spell that angelica houston had put on it being like uh whatever you're tasting is different than what
0: it actually is oh i thought she actually made a difference oh i don't know i mean it's very because like the sugar could have like sent her into a coma so yeah mm. yeah that's that's what i took out of it but
1: their relationship isn't entirely explained either i think in the book she's actually supposed to be a witch hunter oh but... the grandmother yeah and i got more the impression in this one that she had powers too but she was like a good witch so she just didn't use them or something.
0: I didn't pick that up in this, slightest. Oh, okay. I thought uh, she was more
1: of like a potions witch or something.
0: But I guess we should talk about Angelica Houston and her entrance. And she's got that like wearing all black and purple, which admittedly looks good on a lot of people. But mm-hmm. I feel like she pulls off particularly mm. well. Severe but flattering wig. <laughs> Those hard bangs. Mm. But she comes in and she just... This is where even though like she plays like very down to earth, very realistic characters... This is where, like, the grand high bitch comes out. <laughs> like, puts her palm out and like just expects people to kiss the ring. <laughs> uh, and someone even says, "Like, oh,
3: I've been so looking forward to meeting
2: you. You look marvelous. I wish I could say the same for you,
0: Did you notice that her
1: assistant is uh, the same person who plays Bubble from Abfab? Full disclosure:
0: I've never seen Abfab.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, Bubble is one of my favorite characters from Abfab, and it's the same actress. Her name is Jane Horrocks.
0: Okay. She
1: talks like (laughs) this in a verb. And she does it a little bit in this movie. I was hoping for a little more, but it's great. I wanted to talk about how I was really worried that once the full makeup reveal of Angelica Houston as the Grand High Witch comes out, I was like, oh, that's a lot of makeup to have to act around. She did, though. Yeah. When you have that much prosthetics, it's like the question then becomes... Can you outact it? Like, you have to make that into a believable character. Otherwise, the makeup's just doing all the work for you. And I, I loved it. Yeah. Like, she, after a while, I wasn't even seeing the makeup anymore. I was just seeing this crazy, scary witch person.
0: They did a good job of keeping the mouth relatively, not makeup-free. Like, there's lipstick and stuff on it, and she was jowly. Mm-hmm. But... She still had full speaking range, like her lips weren't encumbered or like the movement of her jaw wasn't encumbered. So she still had like full like vocal range and could like use her mouth quite diligently.
2: Bitches only with magic!
0: And I think that goes a long way, like having range of your voice, because my feeling of David Bowie as an actor, unrelated to this, is that his voice is so expressive But his face isn't super expressive. And so keeping her mouth sort of free for that keeps that level of expression. Like, you can still see her eyes and you can still see her mouth. And I feel like that goes a long way with, like, the emotions of the character. Yeah. She has to do a lot with her eyes. She has to do a lot with her mouth and voice. And then she
1: has to do a lot with movement, Mm -hmm. which she does. And she, she totally utilizes those, like, finger extensions she's got going on. She's just all over, like. I think that's from uh, Captain EO, which she was also in. (laughs) Yeah. She she also has like long fingers in that. So probably practiced a little bit a couple years ahead.
0: I wondered at first if it even was her once like the big reveal. No, you would know. That's I was like, that's a lot of makeup. They could easily just get some stand in and just have her voice over it. But they didn't. Thank God. Yeah. Because really the way that she moves when she's in the Grand High Witch phase Still kind of comes across when she's like in normal and like woman mode, Mm -hmm. like the way that she'll kind of move around or when they're bringing Bruno in, (laughs) like the way that like the camera framed it, it was like her hand was like below the belt line, but like almost like in the crotch region and she was like gyrating. I was like, is she touching herself? <laughs> she's just so excited to see him turn into a mouse. And I don't know, there's that level of like body language that's also there when she's in grand high witch mode.
1: I also really loved like after she's take when she's putting back on like on her face and her wig and stuff when he's coming back in. It's just her regular face, but the way they've like put it together and the way she's acting like touching her eyes and stuff and adjusting her hair, like it really looks like I know what's underneath there. Like, that's what you're thinking, even though that's just actually Angelica Houston's face. Yeah. Suddenly that one seems like the fake one. So that's a tough trick to pull off, I think. And I think, A, her acting and just, A, the way they
0: pieced it together really sells it. And I liked that a lot. To jump ahead just for a minute, there's a scene in her hotel room where she's, like, in Grand High Witch mode. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone comes knocking at the door and they put, like, the Angelica Houston, like rubber mask over, like, the, the witch mask, Yeah, and... Then they move over. Yeah, like, someone walks in front of the camera, and suddenly the mask is on her face. I'm like, that was a grade-A cut. I know.
1: I watched that a, a couple times, Like, actually. I cannot
0: see where the cut
1: happens. It is so seamless. It's very smooth, yeah. And, and like, they might have even done, like, a little CG, because her hands are just holding it. Okay. And then, like, once you pan over, you can kind of see her, like, slowly putting it on.
0: Oh, okay. Like, her
1: arms are moving, but... I still watching it. It was like that looks seamless. It's yeah,
0: really well done. That that was a fantastic cut right there. Because even watching for it, I was like, I don't quite see where the cut is. Yeah, and it's one of those cuts where like you should be able to see where it is, but yeah, no, they did it perfect. I rewound that a couple times because it was really good.
1: I don't want to get outside the. TED Talk quite yet. Um <laughs> I want to give a shout out to uh the Large March Sentis podcast because mm-hmm. they pointed out in their viewing of this that there were a lot of men in that audience there, which I did not notice until I rewatched that scene
0: today just because I wanted to see Angelica Houston ham it up a little more. I guess Michael Palin from Monty Python was one of them. No. Yeah, like he's uncredited, but it was just like on set that day he's like yeah i'll be one of the witches i wonder why though like did they
1: not have enough women extras did they think that they were more ugly if they were men i with was going to say it
0: probably adds to like the strangeness of them if you're if you think you're seeing a woman but it's a man that probably just adds like a different level of strangeness to what you're actually seeing once you're looking for it like they're all over and
1: it's kind of funny but yeah you wouldn't know it
0: unless someone told you yeah
1: i I did not notice it until it was pointed out to me i just figured it was like wow they looked terrible with their wigs off (laughs) yeah like
0: i don't know i thought that was i thought that was funny but yeah bruno comes in who's just a shitty kid yeah, but you got to take into account his upbringing. He's got pretty shitty parents. His parents are shitty, but he's like over there, like critiquing the food.
3: The cucumber sandwiches are all right too, except when they use margarine instead of butter. I really do hate margarine. How much pocket money do you get? My dad's rich, but he's very tight. We've got three cars.
1: I mean, his dad was a shit ass too. Oh my god, what a piece of shit! He was triggering for me, like that part when they're when he's like they're having the banquet and he like goes you you and starts like fingering him over oh like yeah he's like,
3: what kind of soup is that that is the crest soup sir well if they're all having crest
2: soup i'll have the crest soup thank you yes that soup is specially made for their party sir the soup on the menu tonight is cockaliki and very nice it is too but i don't want cockaliki i don't like cockaliki i like cress.
1: so just take that back to the kitchen and tell the chef de cuisine that there's one more order for cress soup now there's a laddie.
0: oh it was triggering i was like yeah the cockaliki was just fine until he saw the grass was greener on the other side oh my God. and suddenly he's like i don't like cockaliki i, I wish- want the cress soup
1: i wish he would have eaten it like <laughs> i don't know why helga saved him from from that
0: yeah, because he was a dick to Helga when he he she tried to confront him about the mice situation. I mean, in all fairness,
1: if some kooky weird old woman is like, "Your son has been turned into a mouse," and then like she opens her purse and there's mice in it, I'd be like, oh, "Okay," I wouldn't scream like the mom, but I'd be like, "You need to you need to leave." Man. I'd hear her out. <laughs> I'd be like, "What proof do you have?" And then in that same scene, he was shitty to the waitress who's like pouring the soda into his whiskey, and he's like,
3: "Don't drown it." Oh, sorry now
1: look what you've done she was drowning it God. yeah well why don't you say stop rather yeah. than
0: knock her hand away piece of shit that's terrible i'm sure that like when someone's like peppering his caesar salad he just <laughs> knocks the grinder <laughs> out of their hand Who's it was he... too spicy <laughs> who raised you Jeez.
1: anyway we're talking about bruno bruno but,
0: well he comes in and he's like i was promised six bars of chocolate." <laughs> And I'm here to collect.
3: That lady promised me six whole bars of cream whip hazelnut milk chocolate.
1: Would that be weird for you, like, to go into a conference and everybody's just, like, giggling as you're walking up the aisle? And then there's, like, a seat that's burned through
0: <laughs> no. just next to you. I was like, what are they going to tell, like, the, the concierge or the maitre d' or whatever uh, Mr. Bean's character is, the hotel manager or owner? Yeah. She didn't think that through because I was like that's going to take some explaining. Yeah. Like that won't go unnoticed. But yeah,
1: I would be walking up the aisle I'd be so uncomfortable just with everybody giggling at me. Hey, he just
0: had his eye on the prize. He was okay. promised six chocolate bars and he had come to collect. <laughs> <laughs> Where is my chocolate? <laughs> and then they're all counting and laughing and giggling and he's like trying to like giggle along. He's like, "I get jokes." <laughs> of uh, at his transformation is the stuff of nightmares. It's the scariest part of this movie.
3: We have ignition! <laughs> it's fantastic!
0: They had like at least four different <laughs> like phases of his transformation.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the one that always gets me is the one where it's like the neck is really long but his like mouse head is like, and it's in, like, like agony. And it's like bobbing. Yeah, like, he looks like a jack-in-the-box kind of just all over. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, super crazy scary and the
1: way they like shakes and stuff it just looks painful and scary
0: yeah because it's a little otherworldly like his body's not moving the way that like a body should move yeah like yeah the the like the puppetry or the body double that they're using is like real looking enough that you still kind of buy that it's a person yeah
1: and thankfully it only happens with him. Everybody else's transformation is not quite as scary. I heard that also, I mean, that was something that Jim Henson's hand was in this movie. There were there were scarier parts mm-hmm. that he kind of cut back on, which I, I
0: wonder what they are now. I, I would love to see them. Waiting for the director's cut of this. Yeah, Nicholas Roach is still alive. Jim Henson's not. Oh, man. I got a letter to write. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, Jim Henson, this was... Produced by him, but like his Creature Shop is what did the mice effect. Mm-hmm. Creature Shop came out after the Dark Crystal came out. And so that was sort of his experimental portion of the company. And then like the Muppets was its own thing in, in New York. And um, there's actually a whole big battle that went on between them. It's mm-hmm. kind of fun. But um, anyway, this was a project that he was really proud of them to just kind of work on. And his son, Brian Henson, was like in charge of making these mice. And they used three separate types of mice. They had one that was like basically could only scurry it was just like a robot one that was pretty far away and you could see it just kind of running around the next was one that was like mostly small but could do small movements and then they they made like full puppets that were hand 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 in and that's where like those close-ups of them and they actually get really expressive
0: (laughs) those close-ups are so good they're really well done like the the way the mouth moves it's like they're actually moving it to like sync up with the words that they're saying yeah but even like the ear movements of the mice. I'm like, that's how like, you know, when I'm talking to my dog and like her ears move when I'm talking to her, that's how they moved on the mice puppets. I'm like, that's really top-notch puppetry it right there. Great. It looked
1: great. It looks great. And when you think about it, they also had to make scenery surrounding them yeah. that was size appropriate for them because they were thinking about, we're going to have long shots of these mice, we're going to have like medium shots and we're going to have close-ups. So we need to make appropriate puppetry for all that and they really thought about it and I think it looks pretty good you can still see a little bit of the robotics in the sort of mid shots mm. but um, overall I
0: think it looks really great. Yeah and the close up shots like the mouse puppets were also cute AF yeah like that little Luke mouse like when you see like a close up of him like oh that's adorable oh, yeah, he's really cute uh, which just heightens it when they're like trying to stomp on him no, or like when he's like hiding underneath the carpet in the hallway and like You know, uh, carts are being rolled around and people are stepping around them. I'm like, oh, God, don't kill the cute little mouse. That brings me to the point that, like,
1: there were real trained mice in this. Yeah. Doing a lot of work. There's one scene where he's going to go steal the potion and the mouse, like, climbs down a curtain jumps onto an antenna on a radio, which that, goes
0: down. Yeah, the antenna literally, like, bends over or falls over. And the mouse, and the like, mouse climbs <sighs> and lands in a bowl. Yeah, and then crawls out of the bowl. Yeah, and that was, like, a real,
1: a real mouse. mouse doing that. It's incredible. Like, do they still have animals trained like that? I mean, these days, I'm sure everyone just does it CGI, but you had to train the mouse to do that back in 1990. I mean, there were
0: a lot of things, like, people walking ar- around the mouse as they, like, crawled around the floor. I was like, they're... It looks so close to actually stepping on them. Maybe it was just like the angle or the camera lens or just some sort of movie magic. But, or near the end during like the banquet scene, and there's like a woman on a chair, like stomping on like a chair full of mice. I'm like, yeah. how is she not just killing dozens <laughs> of mice? There might have been some
1: expendable mice in this movie. I don't know.
0: I mean, I know that we use mice <laughs> for science, but still. Yeah. I was just impressed with the fact that they had mice that could do some of the tricks that the mice do in this movie. It's insane. Especially like the real life Luke mouse. Yeah. Like especially that antenna thing because like he gets up on the antenna and the antenna falls and then the mouse climbs back, you know, the length yeah. of the antenna. With its tail the bowl. wrapped
1: around it and he makes a comment on it like.
0: Whoa. Hang
1: on tail. And he gets
0: his tail cut at one point. Oh, I know. Three blind mice style. In Commando, we were talking about how, like, the stunts, it's so easy to see the cuts, like, especially in a post-police story world. Yeah. And here, especially when Luke, Mouse Luke, goes into the kitchen and is, like, hiding in food and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. the way that it's cut is actually very convincing. Like, it, even looking for it, it kind of feels like, you know, they scoop him up with the french fries and, like, throw him in the fryer. And it's like, the way that it's cut is... I don't know, it it, it really sort of sucks you into the illusion that this mouse is in peril. Yeah. I'm going to credit Jim Henson with that, maybe. Just,
1: like, having to deal with so much artificial life up until that point with the puppets and Uh Muppets and just, you know, in general. And just having an understanding of how special effects need to work. Which, you know, if if you're trying to make a puppet look like it belongs in that world, that's a special effect. And he just really had an eye for that, I think.
0: Well, we talked about this a little bit in uh, *Muppets Take Manhattan*, where really, if you're directing a Muppet movie, you need to have like a consummate talent for like what's in frame and what's not in frame. Yeah. Like more so than working with actors, because like if you show an actor's legs, you're just seeing their legs. But like if you show shoot a Muppet too low, you're seeing some dude's arm up its butt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that may have just given Jim Henson like a, a good working knowledge of like when a scene is believable mm-hmm. f- effects wise. I almost wish like he'd brought Frank Oz in a little bit to mm. kind of
1: have his eyes on it too because you know Little Shop of Horrors is like 2 or 3 years before this. Oh,
0: that's right. And
1: that plant looks fucking real. One of the tricks he does is like they like filmed it slow and then sped it up to make the plant look more realistic. And it's like I wish they would have done that with the with the medium shots of the mouse. Mm-hmm. Like those still feel at you know regular speed, but I think if they had filmed them a little slower and then sped them up. It would have looked a little more natural. Okay, that was the thing that took me out the most. Okay, once he be turned into a mouse. Okay, so at one point, when uh, Luke's getting chased after the TED Talk scene, uh huh, he knocks over a table. He grabs a chair and breaks a window. Yes. to get out. Yes, that's never addressed again. I'm curious as to did uh, Helga have to pay for that? What uh, was everybody's stay at the Excelsior Hotel comped
0: because of the mice at the banquet <laughs> situation? Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure the whole thing was just paid for by the National Elf. <laughs> I mean. It's hard to say Mr. Bean didn't see Luke break the window so it could have been any number of the guests or maybe he saw Luke save that baby
3: Baby in a friend. Oh.
0: There's a baby in a carriage just like precariously like on the edge of a hill and we're seeing a cliff taking
1: a nap while the Yeah the mom's like 5
0: city blocks away <laughs> She's <laughs> like the baby's fine. Just needs some sea air. I'm gonna take a nap. And then I can't remember the Sergei Eisenstein movie where they push the baby down the the steps. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I felt like it was a reference to whatever movie that is. Sure. But he saves it just in time. I mean, he was turned into a mouse shortly thereafter. Right. So it'd be hard to, to pin it on pin him. Luke to that. It's just I just thought that was
1: remarkable. Like, he didn't even try the door. He just grabbed a chair and immediately broke the window.
0: Oh, that's true. <laughs> like... Maybe he's just thought, this is my one chance to break a window.
1: <laughs> he's like, there's no time to try it. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I like that.
1: Okay. So some people, when this movie came out, kind of thought it was a little misogynistic. And I'm wondering... Because it's a bunch of bitches being bitches. Yeah. And they're ugly. And they... And I
0: single-handedly credit this movie for turning me gay. <laughs> I was
1: wondering if this movie turned me gay a little
0: bit too. Like just a total turn off to women in general. Like (laughs) secretly they're all just ugly, square toed, bald people that will burn me to a crisp. The moment I say something shitty to them. (laughs) The moment you question them. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I feel like I know a lot of women who like this movie though. Growing up, I remember a lot of my girlfriends were into this
0: movie so I have a question about this that I think kind of bleeds in to your question about this okay I kind of feel like this movie is only good or you only really enjoy it if you were of the right age when this came out mm. if you didn't see this growing up I don't think you could be a 30 something and watch it and really appreciate it mm, maybe like you might be able to for like the puppetry because like that still is pretty impressive and, like some of the makeup and things like that, and Angelica Houston's performance are good, but overall, I feel like you'd struggle to kind of like this movie uh, for instance, I didn't see Labyrinth till I was in my twenties okay, and that did not impress me when I watched it, sure, but of course, Labyrinth is cherished among our generation
1: if you saw it at the right age, it's just if you like saw it while growing part up, of you, yeah. and so I
0: kind of feel like if you were born in like the late 70s to like the early 90s, perhaps, then you like this movie. But if you were born outside that range, you probably don't hold that a seam. And I can kind of see that maybe a misogynistic tag can be put on this. I could see that. I can see it, but I also feel like, I mean, the person who
1: takes down the head witch along with Luke is his grandma. Yeah. So the other hero of this movie is an old woman. Yeah. And this movie passes the Bechdel test. It <laughs> does, yeah. I mean, they're talking about killing children,
0: but at least they're not talking about a man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I also feel like if it is misogynistic, I think it's at a specific type of lady, like the ladies who lunch. That specific brand of maybe like upper middle class sort of... Enough disposable income to buy designer clothing and to, you know, enjoy excursions to find hotels and things like that. It might be taking aim on that specific class of woman. Okay. But I don't think you could put like blanket misogynistic over this. Yeah. But I know, I don't know if I would call it empowering either. It just sort of feels like fun. <laughs> I, I don't know. We said that a uh, faster pussycat kill kill was empowering because like, A woman kills a man with her bare hands in the opening (laughs) scene. So I don't know if we're really experts on what is empowering to women. Uh, Ladies, chime in. Did
1: you like The Witches as a kid?
0: Did you find it empowering? (laughs) I mean, it is about a legion of women who have zero interest in having kids. I can get behind that. So (laughs) Tim likes to joke that
1: if I ever ran for public office, my platform would be no more kids.
0: So you're like the Grand High Witch where you're like, one a week is not good enough. <laughs> yeah,
3: I demand maximum results.
0: You know, Angelica
1: Houston has never had children. so. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh,
0: oh,
1: maybe maybe some of that seeped into her. So Grand High Witch It, it was thing. like
0: when uh, Joan Crawford got the, the script for Mildred Pierce. And it's like she grew up super poor and like had to work way up. She's like, this is me. <laughs> Angelica Houston was like, oh, my God. The role of a lifetime. And finally, a movie that gets me. <laughs> this
1: is the part I've been born to play. <laughs> Love her in
0: this, by the way. This, yo, I mean, she, we've already mentioned it. but like- I mean, if Angelica Houston was not in this, it'd be like watchable but not like same. i wouldn't want to no it's worse
1: it's totally worth like i love the scene when she's chatting with uh bruno's dad at the drinks portion of it just flew in did you but which by the way she's drinking something purple in a martini
0: glass with a lemon and a cherry and an umbrella no idea what it is Decadence. i know is this when he's like complaining about the queue for the tea station or whatever
2: there's a trouble
1: with this country queue for everything never crossed their mind to have two tea trolleys. That'd be too convenient for the paying guests. eh? (laughs) He's definitely a one-star Yelper.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. That's all he ever does, you know? Yeah. He's the type of son of a bitch who, like, is like, their potatoes were bad and they had no parking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know I had kagaliki soup yesterday. I didn't want it on the menu
0: again. I wanted the crass soup. <laughs> there was margarine in their butter cakes. Well, do we have any final thoughts on uh, the witches? No, not really. I mean, I I really enjoyed
1: watching it, and but you might be right that it might be just a very generational specific thing. I do want to mention that the one part where she's like dangling the um the sock or the, the sock over thing, whatever. trying to get the cat to attack it, and she's like, "Who's cat?" Puss, 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 was something that even as a kid watching, being like, "That's weird." <laughs> like, I'm
0: I not definitely did to say those words. I definitely did not know what puss was oh. uh, when I saw this, because I definitely remember watching Batman Returns like two years later, mm. and uh, the Penguin walks in and sees Catwoman on his bed, and he goes, "Just the pussy I've been looking for," and that was just over my <laughs> head. <laughs> uh, but I also remember watching Goldfinger and not getting what pussy galore was mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Do you get it now <laughs> uh, yes my mother explained it to oh, me okay good
1: <laughs> anyway pretty good spectacular movie uh we should take a little break before we dive into the next one i agree we should podcast listeners. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And we're your hosts of A Piece of Pie, the Queer Film Podcast. Every episode, we're going to take two movies or more, compare them, contrast them, and talk about them. Sometimes we talk about things like Terrence Malick and his use of handheld cameras or his sparse dialogue.
0: And sometimes we talk about Alex Garland and how he mirrors things in both story and visuals. Sometimes we just talk about Chris Evans and his butt. Or Meryl Streep and how she might have farted her way to an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So join us. We're on
1: Stitcher, Google google play itunes wherever you get your podcasts grinder uh, that
2: might just be you james <laughs> maybe
1: hey you podcast listener
0: yeah hey listen up hey
2: shut up
1: <laughs> i know you're looking for new things to binge and purge <laughs> gayish is about gay stereotypes we've talked about depression drag queens uh butt stuff fisting animals Uh, Fisting and Animals are two different episodes, just to clarify. (laughs) You can find us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are given away for free.
0: Tell your mom. She's probably gay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I also had just shitty taste and stuff growing up. Same here. So.
1: I watched a lot of Full House. And not because I liked it, just because it was on.
0: Yeah, that was... Like, kind of how you watch TV in the 90s. Like, know, what was on. I know. But other than that, it was probably be, like, whatever was on Nick at Night growing up. <laughs> did you ever watch The Addams Family? Uh, I did. I didn't
1: care for the show that much. Oh. I used to watch it, too, but only because it came on after Saturday Morning Cartoons. Oh, really? It was like, yeah, for whatever reason, the programming when I was a little, little kid, like, single digits we're talking still, after the cartoon... Saturday morning cartoon programming ended, they'd go into like old, weird TV shows like The Munsters and The Addams Family. I think that was like a block. That would make sense. And uh, I remember liking The Addams Family
0: more than The Munsters. I feel the opposite, but I think it's because the movie, The Addams Family, defined what The Addams Family was to me. And We should really talk about that. (laughs) Funny you should mention that, Ryan. (laughs) Because here in our Angelica Houston double feature... We did the witches, and now we're doing the Addams Family. Angelica Houston. We do, don't du, have a problem. Du, du, du. Fuck.
1: We don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Angelica Houston. We don't have a problem. <ils chiles> Angelica Houston. I don't know.
0: There's nothing there. I really don't know what to do. Yeah, I got nothing. So unlike the monsters, where they were like clearly all like a type of monster. Yeah. The Addams Family. It's just sort of eluded that they're types of these things i mean i've got a lot of questions but morticia is sort of a witchy character sure i mean the the grandmother is like the hex and spell witch mm-hmm. but i mean morticia's not unwitch like no yeah she seems more in the um foul seductress realm of things
1: yeah, what is her deal? What makes her weird, other than like she lo- she has weird taste? I mean,
0: nothing really, but that could be said for almost all the Adamses. Like that's what I mean. What is what makes you an Adams? So it's based on a, a comic, like a newspaper comic, The Adams Family by Charles Adams, and I don't know how much of this is based on like his real family, mm-hmm. but he called it the Adams family and he's Charles Adams. So like presumably he's drawing something from like real life experience in these things. Yeah. And it was sort of like a dark version of uh, family circus. Like it was just single cell comics. Okay. And it was just like the family doing like weird macabre things like in different settings. And I
1: liked the TV show. I'm not going to lie. I, as a kid, I thought it was fun.
0: Yeah. I don't remember it well enough, but watching this movie again, I'm like, you know what? This super duper holds up like (laughs) no it's a ton of fun you gotta be on board for the one type of joke this movie has though (laughs) like that's it it has one type of joke it's like absolutely right it presents something weird the adams like view it as normal if you're not on board with that joke you're not gonna be on board with the movie or if you think
1: something is normal the adams family thinks it's not
0: normal yeah uh, sure sure the inverse of that joke that's it, those are the two types of jokes you get in this movie, <laughs> and it's just variations on that one theme throughout like a hundred minutes. <laughs> I want to come
1: back to that because there are there's like one other type of funny in this movie, and okay. it's dr. Penderschloss
0: and we'll we we'll can come back to her so we'll call out directors frequently, actors all the time we'll praise editing we'll praise cinematography in this specific movie. I just want to praise the casting director real quick. His name is David Rubin, and he's still in the business now. Male casting director. Oh, yeah. That's, that's rare. Most recently, he cast for... Uh Big Little Lies. Oh shit! And uh, da, 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 series of unfortunate events. Oh okay, wow. Yeah. So like he's still like in the game and like casting like big stuff and stuff that is often praised for its wise casting. Neil Patrick Harris in series of unfortunate events, Nicole Kidman in Big Little Lies, among other women in that. Yeah. But this movie, The Adams Family in particular, just feels so perfectly cast. We're already talking about Angelica Houston, but. She defines Morticia in my mind. Yeah. Which is why we were talking about the Adams Family television show earlier. Nothing against the Morticia in that. But Angelica Houston is Morticia Adams. It's like saying that, like, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is not the best Catwoman. Like, it's just, there's no competition. Mm -hmm. Like, the casting was so perfect as as Angelica Houston's Morticia. But then you're also complimented. Raul Julia as Gomez is ch- amazing the in the two movie. of them together are just hashtag life goals Ugh. like the scene at the auction when they're betting yeah. on their own <laughs> item and it's like turning each other
2: on I have $50,000 your turn my ecstasy 50000 going once 50000 going twice sold to Morticia Adams for 50000 oh. $50,000
0: it's like i wish i loved something half as much as those two love each other (laughs) and there's they're both so great that like you buy it like it doesn't feel like artifice or it doesn't feel artificial like it feels like they really are just madly lustful for one another Mm -hmm. and Only one another, and in the most over the top way. But you know, they're not looking to other people to get their rocks off. Like it's just confined to their love for one another. And like if it, it's like Sailor and Lula in Wild at Heart. Exactly. Like (laughs) they're totally gay bones, but only for each other. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at the very beginning, when they always have that lighting effect over Morticia's eyes, right? But she's like in bed, and like. Lying there, arms like over her head.
2: Last night you were unhinged. You were like some desperate howling demon. You frightened me. Do it again.
3: <laughs> <sighs> I mean, uh, and there and
1: again is the like. There's
0: that joke. Yeah, the, like, yeah. You gotta love that twist, otherwise you're bored to shit yeah it's uh, but it also hinges on your sympathies have to be with the Adamses. like even though they're like weird and they do all these things like you have to sympathize with them more than you sympathize with the other people Mm -hmm. so the movie really hinges on making fun of normals Mm -hmm. in a way like this is fresh in my mind, but like I, uh, you know, John Waters does the same thing in his like mainstream movies. Like he he makes fun of people who adhere to like you know the party line or to you know mainstream traditional American values. Yeah, and he lambasts them. And it depends on the viewer not identifying with those values and this like really plays into that like you have to be on the Adams' side in order to get that joke yeah or to like appreciate that joke i should say i get the humor and and
1: i appreciate it and i like it a lot i still don't completely know if i get the adamses because they're like <laughs> they like Murder, yeah, the, and they're cool with it. There's like, like a,
0: a hint of like almost supernatural abilities to what they're doing. They have those weird books in their library. Yeah, like, I I don't get like it's it's a weird.
1: It's never well defined, and I guess I kind of like that because it's it's like they're creepy. I and feel they're like kooky. It, they're mysterious and, and spooky. spooky. They're all together, Ookie, okay, the Addams family that kind of covers it i suppose like they're just
0: yeah, bizarre i feel like they, if they defined it too much it would just ruin it mm-hmm. uh it's best to just let it be gossamer and like not dissected let it just be it yeah not cousin it but uh <laughs> which i looked up cousin it is played by a child actor <laughs> who plays isaac in the children of the corn franchise oh wow yeah and i was like huh this uh this falls into our judge dread thing where it's like how bold is it to, like, play a role where, you like, your face is never seen? <laughs> the actor, the hand actor, mm-hmm. the played thing, mm-hmm. I, I looked him up. I was like, is this a person? Like, did he, did he do stuff? Yeah, he did other hand roles. He was the hand in Idle Hands. <laughs> <laughs> wow, big full circle there. <laughs> and then I've never seen the show, but he was the hand in Angel. Wow. Yeah. What a resume. I play hands. Yeah, that's literally all he does. Is like
1: the wrist down. <laughs> I wonder if like the rules apply with, you know, gaining weight or plastic surgery anything like that with just your hand. Does he have uh
0: like a a, uh, a regiment like he's just at home with those like uh, uh those those, those like half plier things yeah. like staying in shape? Does he do the thing where
1: like sleeps with a glove of vaseline <laughs> on like filing down the
0: cuticles every morning yeah jeez i don't know i'm curious yeah i don't know now. the thing effect is actually pretty fun actually it, it's really well done it doesn't like, in the show it's just like a hand in a box right and this like the hands crawling around all over the place and it
1: doesn't look bad i mean you know 20 plus almost 30 years on it still
0: looks pretty good yeah like i'm not i'm not mad at it and it does like good jokes and stuff like the way that like it it'll do you know sign language like yeah. in an emergency or morse code that part and things was like pretty that. good yeah yeah i liked that
3: slow down it's terrible when you stutter.
0: It does like a whole range of things. Like it is pretty good and it shows it from all angles and it interacts with characters. Mm-hmm. Like It
1: like goes through traffic. It runs down, up and down the house. It's I mean, pulling a wagon. Like it does lots of stuff.
0: Uh, oh yeah, he's like a FedEx delivery person when times right. are
1: tough. Oh, that, that was back when it was still Federal Express.
0: Oh, <laughs> Which they updated their logo after that. But Barry Sonnenfeld was a cinematographer before he was a director. So I think he's got like you know, an eye for like what looks good on camera. And that brings me to an important point is that this
1: movie, I mean, you strip away the great cast, you strip away the jokes. This movie would still look amazing. Like even if, Barry Sonnenfeld wasn't directing, who has a, a style. Like, the production design on this movie is enough to
0: make it worth watching, in my opinion. It's so good. So the cinematographer Owen Reusman okay is, like, he, he's retired. I think he's still alive, but he, like, retired in the mid-90s. Has a long history of great movies. He did cinematography like The Exorcist. Oh, shit. So it's, like, Barry Sonnenfeld, like, even though, like, you know... Depending on your point of view, got stuck turning a television show into a movie. He still like amassed a great team to do it in, and it sort of elevated. I feel the material itself. Like this wasn't like the Flintstones movie or something like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, if you think about
1: the look of this movie versus the look of the Witches, which were a year apart, one looks almost like some weird British
0: made-for-TV movie, and one looks like a film. I definitely feel like the budget on this was bigger. Sure, But, you know, it still had, like, the same leading actress in it, so, like, could the budget have been, like, that super far removed? Like, one year difference. Angelica Houston, I'm sure... Had the same level of star power in 1990 as she did in 91. But even the difference
1: in just lighting, you know, mm-hmm. like one seems lit in a really flat kind of way and one seems lit in a moody way. I mean, obviously there's they're
0: different movies, but it's just like that feels different. Like the feel of them are very different. And then just my plane into Barry Sonnenfeld's like history as a cinematographer where it's like. He himself was a cinematographer, and then he's got a top-notch cinematographer like an old dog at the helm for him. So they just might have put like the look and depth of every image at like the forefront of importance. Yeah, because I mean, the movies that Barry Sonnenfeld was the cinematographer for are not like inconsequential movies like Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, like both Coen Brothers movies. I think Miller's Crossing yes. too, right? Yes, which we covered. Yeah. So it's like the Coens don't pick amateurs for their cinematographers like Mm -hmm. they take that very seriously so yeah Sun felt like I I feel like he has a vision for that or, or has an eye for that and so if you just got two different people working on it like that's just going to be of paramount importance to them yeah
1: like that's one of this movie's strengths definitely is the visual element to it and i think just the way he presents the information we're seeing and the production design in general is so good like the people that made the adams family house Mm -hmm. the costume design specifically gomez's outfits which i loved (laughs) There's just a real attention to detail in that department that if you didn't have that on the front end,
0: this movie wouldn't look as good, no yeah. matter
1: what you did as a director. Like, you really need that front end work to make this look great.
0: Yeah, that's very Which true. they did. I mean, it's sort of a shame Barry Sonnenfeld. I feel like, got sucked into like the mainstream system. Like, he made Men in Black, and I'll still defend the first Men in Black movie, but he made, like, two and three as well, and I can't defend those. And then he also made Wild Wild West, and I can't defend that, of course, but, you know, early on, he still had some talent. Like, he still had an eye for things. I almost, Well, I almost
1: feel like, yeah, the credit needs to go to the production end of it rather than the directing end of it. Okay. Like, he had an eye for what he wanted to see, and then he just kind of had to point a camera at it at that point, and mm-hmm. it's all done.
0: If you get great actors, which they did in this movie. On the topic, though, of great casting, Christina Ricci is Wednesday, this Inspired. is the role she was born yeah. to play. <laughs> like she's like you've already used the sound drop in like a previous episode, but it's like when she's strapping Pugsley into the electric chair and she's like Pugsley, sit in the
2: chair. Why? So we can play a game. What game? It's called Is There a God?
1: So okay, question, and I don't wanna maybe this is a spoiler alert for a future episode, but like, don't they make a big deal out of electrocuting the Adams family in the second one? Like, doesn't Joan Cusack threaten to electrocute them? But, like, Pugsley gets electrocuted in this movie, and it's fine. Does Joan Cusack not electrocute them? Well, she threatens to. I, I thought I she did, to... and, like, it didn't work. Well, it, that's why she got electrocuted. Oh. But, like, they're all tied up and threatened to be electrocuted, and it's like, is that even a threat if, like, the Adams Family can't be
0: electrocuted? Because Pugsley's totally fine after this. I mean, the the rules of... <laughs> <laughs> the, the Adams's powers is not defined. Yeah. The electrocution thing might be unique only to Pugsley or something like that, but it's hard to say. Or maybe the moon was in the right phase. For sure, like, why not? Let's go with that. But Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams is just an inspired choice. She's great. She's so good at it. Like, she looks the part. Her crazy five head is really working for her here. <laughs> well, there's a scene later on when they like, you know are in Queen of Versailles phase and like have hit the rocks and they're selling lemonade and they have that encounter with that bitchy Girl Scout who's making a big deal. Like, I only drink natural, organic, you know, free range, cruelty-free lemonade.
2: (laughs) Are you sure they're real lemons? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. Do we have a deal? Are they made from real Girl
0: Scouts? And just like the close up on Wednesday's face is she's like scowling.
1: <laughs> I like that line because it's definitely like it reads both ways of like, I'll buy them if they're made of real Girl Scouts yeah. and also like testing her at the yeah. same time. So
0: it's kind of played both ways. And I like that they choose to like just let the joke sit there a little bit because it's like. You get the close-up of Wednesday's face, like, scowling. Mm -hmm. And then you get the reaction shot of, like, the Girl Scout, like, not knowing what to do. And then, like, you get the shot of Pugsley, like, sort of gauging (laughs) what's happening. (laughs) Just the fact that that joke is allowed to sit there and, like, for the audience to, like, absorb it and see the reactions. I don't know. You don't see that a lot in modern comedies. A joke just sitting there for everyone to sort of absorb
1: on that note i really liked a scene in that uh we talked about that auction earlier when they're like <laughs> but before they actually do it the person who's like announcing the things that are coming up is like
2: remember this year over half our proceeds will benefit the elderly and the mentally disabled
1: at that moment both gomez and morticia turned to grandma and she's just like <laughs> <laughs> that's me <laughs> she's just smile i like i didn't catch that right away but then was like oh that's just a visual joke of like oh we're talking about grandma at this (laughs) point
0: i get it now uh but i love it when Morticia's like being guided through the hallway by one of the teachers and they're like this you know week we had all the students choose you know to write a report on who they admired most and Little so and so wrote about the president of the United States.
2: Have you spoken to her parents?
0: Wednesday and like they show this like woman <laughs> like Calpurnia. a him yeah. being burnt.
2: Wednesday's great at Calpurnia. She was burned as a witch in 1706. They say she danced naked in the town square and enslaved a minister. But don't worry, we've told Wednesday college first.
1: Okay, we talked about this in commando a little bit how arnold has all the like corny stupid one-liners angelica houston has a bunch of really corny stupid one-liners but she
0: has the best ones and she sells them every (laughs) fucking time (laughs) i love the one so many wednesday's walking through the kitchen with like a machete and she's like is that for your brother i don't think so the thing's in frame the whole time but she (laughs) takes this fucking battle axe like it's like
1: mandy levels
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's like you know, where a normal family would, like, have a pot or pan, like, hanging from, like, the roof. Like, they have this battle axe, and she, like, unhooks it. And it's just so funny because it's in plain sight, this whole scene. Yeah. And then she's like, no, no, no. This is for Pugsley. I'm like, oh, it's that same joke again. But. I mean,
1: but she also, like, what are some of the other ones she's got? I wrote a bunch of these off. Like, uh, like when, she, when she's talking and she's like,
2: he won't eat. He can't sleep keeps coughing up blood he coughs up blood not like he used to
1: or just even like when when they come over for the seance
0: and the first thing she says is
2: welcome honored guests entrails
0: she sells it so well or when she's being tortured at the end she's like yes
2: you've done this before
1: i mean okay i wrote a bunch of these down let's see if i can get another one uh Oh, I like it when she when she takes Fester for the walk into the graveyard, and they look at the um, you know mommy and daddy Adams thing, and they have their um, their plaque that says
2: "Sic Gorgiamos a los subiectatos nunc." We gladly feast on those who would subdue us. Not just pretty words.
0: Angelica Houston just. Owns this role. It's yeah, she she dominates, M- much like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando, where there's where he's just whole assing it, and there's no sense that like he's there for a paycheck or he's phoning it in. Angelica Houston is whole assing it here. Like she has thrown her back into this role. <laughs> this is something I've I've talked about just in general on the pod
1: one night when uh, I was talking about Adam Family values, which I watched is that everyone seems like they're having a
0: ball. In this movie, they do too. Everyone is having so much fun. Part of me secretly hopes that this was just like a torturous ordeal to make (laughs) because they just seem like they're having too much fun. It's sort of like the Clue movie where like everyone seems like they're having fun and if they were, that's just not fair. That your job is just to like goof around all day. To do this, like get hammy. Yeah. They're getting hammy
1: in the best possible way like it never feels over the top it feels totally right for these characters and uh if you're on board then it's a blast
0: yeah i mean you do have to be on board with like the type of joke that is going to be presented but i don't know it the visual humor i feel is really good because you're allowed to get a little strange with it like uh at the ball like the big like uh family oh, I reunion i love that part <laughs> Uh, and we got like the, you know, Siamese twins I know that's not the appropriate Conjoined twins, I'm sorry Flora and Fauna mm-hmm. um, I'm Flora I'm Fauna <laughs> You got, uh, was it Cousin Lumpy?
1: I wrote down uh, Lumpy Adams was great design Like the hunchback with mm-hmm. this weird
0: like redhead mohawk
2: Why Lumpy Adams, look at you
0: Oh grown up. And I love the way that he and Wednesday danced. <laughs> and Wednesday's not treating it oddly. She's like, This is how you dance with this them. This is just how
1: you dance. Yeah. Yeah, I loved seeing all those Adams family, the extended uh
0: family of them. That's fun. It really gets you on their side, I feel. Like you just you're you're sympathizing with the Adamses more than you're sympathizing with uh Doctor Penderslos. Or the uh Altoffs or whatever their name is, Don Hyatt. Uh, from Of Commando fame. How have we
1: made it this far without mentioning that Don Hayat is in
0: this movie? I freaked out when I saw that. Tully Alford is his name. Okay. And his wife is a great character actress, too. Dana Ivy. Okay. She was in Color Purple. She was like the woman who had uh, Oprah Winfrey jailed. Okay.
1: Fun fact, Angelica Houston won her Oscar for Pritzy's Honor versus Oprah Winfrey in The Color Purple. Oh, shit. Same year. Let's talk about Dr. Penderslosh for a minute. Sure, go for it. I don't know who that actress is. I looked her up. She's mostly done theater work. She hasn't done a lot of film work. I thought she was amazing. And like in a movie full of these huge cartoonish characters, she was the one who had to come in and be like an original character. She stood out. In a good way.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's definitely the most earthbound. Even the Altoffs aren't super earthbound. Like, they're a little cartoony, they're a little over the top. Mm-hmm. She's almost like the real world proxy in this, but she's also the get. villain. Yeah. But she's, I love her accent when she becomes
1: Dr. Penderschloss because mm-hmm. it's not quite German, but it's not, I don't know. It's kind yeah, of it's weird hard to
0: narrow down. But. It's a uh, specific ethnicity. It's pretty fun.
3: At long last, the Florida Department of the Fish and the Game, they say, lo and behold, oh my, oh my, oh my, God, tell it on the mountains. He is your brother.
1: Um, and I like that uh, she's able to communicate with Gate in a way that the altos are not. She's just like... Up- There's the part where uh, the play is going on, which we're going to come back to, Mm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, where she's uh, trying to sneak in and she gets attacked by the brambles and it's literally just her. She has like a moment to ham it up on her own and she does it just right.
3: uh, ah.
0: (laughs) I thought she was great. Uh, Lurch, who lets her out of the bramble patch. He's the giant from Twin Peaks. Mr. Hom from uh, Star Trek Next Generation. And he was also in uh, Men in Black. He was the guy who had like the little alien inside like his skull. That's right. So. Carl Strutkin. Yes. Yeah. So. He's fun. The casting in this was just, it's so tight. It's hard not to like a movie that's cast this well. Yeah but the stage play like the children's play that they go to oh, where they're doing like the scene from Hamlet I love it so much that i think really exemplifies where the 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 real world audience you and i our sympathies are with the adamses mm-hmm. because we think this play is awesome yeah. <laughs> and nobody outside the adamses do <laughs> like it i mean it's basically like a gallagher thing like the first three rows will get wet yeah. but they're doing i don't know which scene from hamlet but like one where somebody dies everyone dies in that fucking play but they've gored it up real good Fester's has helped them to do the blood effect so it's like when one of them gets cut it fucking spurts <laughs> It's like Kill Bill levels of just heads cutting off spraying. And I don't know, the kids, like, Christina Ricci's own in those lines. Yeah. And the way that the blood is spraying over people, the judges in the audience, he starts, like, dabbing himself after this first spray, and then the second spray just covers him. Yeah. <laughs> and then after it's all said and done, like, the audience is just silent Yeah. while the family's up there <laughs> applauding. But this is where, like, our sympathies come in, because, like... You and I are at home mentally applauding for this play. Sure. Like, we love it. We think it's bold. It's audacious. It's just everything that you want in the theater. <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone else is appalled by it. Bravo! So
1: that's a good litmus test. If you're watching this with somebody and somebody thinks like, oh, no, that woman's dress is
0: stained now. yeah, It's like, you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we should talk about the plot of the movie. I mean, sure. It's sort of the weak point of this movie, though. It doesn't
1: matter. Yeah, it's all just like a, a way to put jokes on jokes.
0: Yeah, th- there's a scheme where the Addams's, like family lawyer, played by Den Hayata Tully, wants to get a hold of the Adams's treasure. So they cook up a scheme to get this guy to disguise himself as fester come as his long-lost brother and honestly this is where the movie drags is like the plot part yeah the movie excels when it's just like the Addams is being themselves but fester played by Christopher Lloyd almost unrecognizable oh yeah they like fattened him up or something too. yeah they put him in like a fat suit because it's like I don't know, this was like six years after the first Back to the Future movie. Mm -hmm. And you cannot tell it's the same actor. He doesn't look like Rick. (laughs) No, he does not. But, I mean, they made Back to the Future movies up until, I think, 92 is when the third one came out. That sounds about right. And, yeah, he he doesn't look like that. Mm -mm. He looks short, squat, bald. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they, they use him as, like, an in to, like get inside the family and then word gets around at the family reunion that Fester's the oldest so he's entitled all the money and the house and the blah 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 so they get a restraining order and it's just like it does pave the way for some like okay jokes like i do like the story of them being ousted from their house oh, that's
1: important because you know if you think about the tv show most of the tv show is the sally jesse Raphael show no <laughs> oh I'll, i'm getting there but like most of the time on the old tv show the adams family it was like people coming into their world and being like whoa everything's weird here like it's kind of fun to have the Adamses actually like get out into everybody else's world and have them kind of be the weirdos you know mm-hmm. like I'm not saying that right but you know like have them be out of context they're the fish out of water yeah yeah I did love that Sally Jesse Raphael part though
2: (laughs) hello Sally
3: Mr. Adams please
0: stop calling we do not know where they meet let's take another call
1: That, that kind of happened a lot, I think, in like early 90s movies where it was like, let's integrate something that is part of popular culture into this movie. I mean, that may probably explains the MC Hammer music, too.
0: Oh, like, that is another mark against this weak movie. Weak point. Just totally uncalled for, not at all appropriate for the tone of the movie. They must have been, so those was Warner Brothers. Was this a Warner Brothers movie? Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know. Well, whoever released it might have been Paramount. Doesn't matter. Uh, whoever released it was probably also had some sort of like deal with whatever record label MC Hammer was on, and was like, "We need to shoehorn this in some way." So they made cousin it listening to it. Also, I guess the Adams family was listening to it too, though at one point when yeah, it's over around. the end credits and it's just embarrassing.
0: And I think there's like a music video that has like the cast in it, and it was not. They do what they want to do. <laughs> I do like the element because like when Morticia goes on like a job interview, we already mentioned like the low for the daydreamer or yeah. whatever, but just like her going through is like, oh, we have a lot of housemakers reentering the mm-hmm. job market, <laughs> you know,
2: your domestic skills can be very valuable. Uh, college, private tutors, major spells and hexes liberal arts
1: i also really like the scene it's so like obvious and predictable but when she's reading to the children and tells oh them the hansel and gretel yeah <laughs>
2: hansel pushed the poor defenseless witch into the oven instead where she was burned alive
0: writhing in agony
1: i'm obviously anti-child <laughs> after we talked about the witches so anytime i see a child cry I'm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like such a fun scene because morticia like she doesn't look uncomfortable necessarily like She's, like, in this job for real. Yeah. But, like, her black dress and the way that her eyes are lit and, like, her black hair versus, like, the wholesome nature of, like, a kindergarten classroom. Yeah. Just, like, you don't even have to have any lines. Like, it's just funny just seeing that sight. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, she's telling the story of Hansel and (laughs) and Gretel. her sympathies sympathies are are with the witch. witch.
2: (laughs) Now, boys and girls, what do you think that feels like?
0: She gets the best lines.
1: A close second is probably Raul Julia. But, like, real fast, Raul Julia in this role, both in this movie and the second one, what a fucking tour de force. He
0: is 100% behind the role. When you talk about, like, scenery-chewing roles, like, this is really up there. And I feel like if your natural inclination as an actor is to, like, you know, be bravado, ham it up, what better role is this for an actor? Yeah. There is no top to this. Like, you cannot go over it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: This one almost feels tempered just because they didn't quite know how big they could go. Because then when you watch the second one, they're like, all right, 120%. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) And just getting the two of them in a scene together, it's just gold. They're eating it up. They're eating up their rules. They're eating up each other. They love it.
0: Yeah. It's this good combination of, like, them bouncing off one another, but also, like, them just, like, doing it to, like, 211. Like... (laughs) Uh, like all out all you can be do this role to the most yeah I think that's
1: what makes this movie successful in a lot of ways is that like these you can tell that they're having fun
0: and it makes me have fun and I feel like that's unique to like this specific type of movie like This is, like, the uh, couple of years where it's like, yeah, we had Flintstone movies and, like... The Brady Binds. Yeah, all these television shows were being turned into movies, but, like, how many of them were actually any good or how many of them were actually fun to watch? Mm -hmm. On paper, I feel like this is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. But they make it work. Like, it turns out well. I think it's important to maybe note also
1: that this movie is 91, and so... Audiences at this point have been primed for this kind of uh, macabre, dark idea you, by Tim Burton. I was going to say, like, you this know, really screams like they were kind of ripping off Tim Burton in a lot of ways,
0: production design wise. Anyway, a little bit. I was thinking about that while watching it this time because I I don't remember Pee Wee's Big Adventure well enough to know if there was any like real Burtonisms in that, mm-hmm. other than the large Marge scene. <laughs> And then Batman, we get a, a heavy dose of, of, like, goth aesthetic. But I don't think we get it full-throatedly until Batman Returns. Well, I was thinking mostly Edward Scissorhands.
1: Like when did that one come out? 90. So oh, 1990. A, yeah, it was a year ahead of this one. And just not not the suburban part, but definitely where uh, Edward lives. That kind of house. And just that idea was already sort of in people's brains yeah. before this movie came out and Uh, then like there there might be a a certain amount of you know feeding off each other after this but like it
0: definitely feels like tim burton-esque i would say that tim burton probably just softened the landing Mm -hmm. like i feel in a vacuum barry sonnenfeld probably would have made the same movie but that audiences were more receptive to this type of movie because of tim burton
1: yeah and i mean tim burton was informed by the Addams family, the original anyway. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's kinda going back and forth.
0: Yeah. But I mean there's a sheen to this. I mean Tim Burton movies I still feel are are especially of that era, are very singular in their vision. Like it's unique to Tim Burton. Where this feels like more of a a mainstream outing. Like it's not I don't get the feeling that Barry Sonnenfeld himself is into goth culture. (sighs) Here. Whereas when I watch a, a Burton film from the same era, I do feel that way, that he has this in him and he's putting this in his movies. Yeah, this movie was made to make
1: money. Yeah. This was out to prey on your nostalgia and
0: uh, I'm not going to lie, it works.
1: Like I love it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it's it's got that right dose of camp because it is camp. But it's like self-aware meta camp almost. Like it knows that it's being camp a little bit. But they make it work. It's legitimately funny. If you like the one joke that they got here. And it all comes together. Like I really feel like if you could somehow cut out the heist part of it. I don't know if I'd like it more. Because that does like feed into like the greater story. And give like room for more jokes. But I don't know. It's just. Just the Adamses being Adamses is, is funny enough. And um, Angelica Houston
1: is a ton of fun. Angelica Houston of Fun <laughs> is what we've got here. She nails her lines. She nails the character of Morticia. She she was first billed in this movie, which I thought mm. was great and well-deserved. Morticia has a lot to do in this movie, too. She's not just some like flitty side character. She She plays the main role. She moves the plot along a lot. Oh, fuck I wanted to get to this but like there's sort of a silent movie quality to this movie like the way that her eyes are lit uh, there's a scene when um, Fester first comes home and just the way that it's about their expressions more than words so I like that element to it too that it's a very visual movie like everything is kind of told besides the stupid corny one-liners Most of the story is told visually, Mm -hmm. and uh,
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I can see that element to it. It relies a lot on, like, body language uh, from the actors and overacting to, you know, some people's eyes maybe a little bit. But I don't know. I ate it up. I was all on board for it. Good stuff. Yeah. Do we have any other thoughts on the adams family no just that i can't wait to review the second one <laughs> it's well, on the horizon at some point i was gonna say uh be here in uh eight months put a big pin <laughs> in that folks <laughs> well next week we're technically off but we do have a little episode yeah, there's uh, a
1: bonus app coming out. Just uh, I don't want to. I don't want
0: to even say
1: anything about it. Okay. Okay. We'll just. We got some bonus content coming up for you next week, and then we'll return with our regularly scheduled program. Uh, still in Schlocktoberfest. Yes. Which means
0: you get to pick a horror movie Matt. It's my one pick of the month. Unfortunately, uh, last October I got to pick three. This year I only get to pick one. And really, watching both these movies, which. Both of them I watched a lot as a child. really made me want to revisit some classics from my childhood. Okay. Like, I know that, you know, the cure for nostalgia is time travel. Uh-huh. So I'm a little... little worrisome. So I'm going to pick a movie that is both fitting for, for uh, Schlocktoberfest, but I'm also going to pick... Next season, I'm going to start just revisiting childhood favorites, movies that shaped my childhood. Okay. Uh, a la Large Marge Sent Us podcast. Um, I hope they're prepared for lots of tweets
1: <laughs> in the next ten episodes because we're we're gonna tweet at them.
0: But uh, when we return from our break, I'm gonna do Beetlejuice. <gasps> Love Beetlejuice. I it, it I mean, there was a lot of movies that I, uh, scary movies that I watched inappropriately young. But I was sort of thinking like, all right, this is like my one pick for October, and. I was like it can't just be scary it's got to be something with good costumes because that is one of the draws of Halloween mm. is that you dress up in these crazy costumes so I wanted something that both had like the spectacular aspect of it but also like crazy costume aspect to it and really that just it came down to Beetlejuice. Not sad at all about getting to watch Beetlejuice again. I love that movie. I texted my mom a week or two ago. I was like, what movies did I watch as a kid? Like, a lot. And her first response was Beetlejuice. (laughs) So. Sweet. Okay. I was like, I guess I got to do this.
1: I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, should we plug our junk? Get the fuck out of here?
1: Yeah, but before we do, I just want to say thank you, Angelica Houston. You're a very special lady with a lot of talent. And we enjoy your movies and you as a person you're the best part of your movies
0: okay now we can plug our junk follow us on twitter at x-rated movies follow us on facebook rated x movies
1: you can go to our website if you please it's x-rated uh
0: and if you want to leave us love wherever you get your podcasts uh we'll do the same for you On your podcast You just just gotta know where to leave it, yeah. Yeah.
1: And also, you know, you can send us an email if you like, x.rated.movies at gmail.com.
0: Is that it? Yeah, that's all our junk. Wow, that was tight and compact. Boom. I like it when it's short. Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger's butt. (laughs) Or Um, uh,
1: Angelica Houston's quip delivery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, be here in two weeks for Beetlejuice. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.